Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, I'm delighted to have Greg Rays on the show. Welcome, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. I'm also joined by my intrepid co-host, Amanda Georgioff. Welcome, Mandy. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Greg. I got to give a little prelude for how I came across Greg here. So our, our CEO, Kyle Porter, asked me if I knew anything about an AI artificial intelligence technology called GPT-3. Before answering him, I decided to get smart about it. And I Googled it and came across two amazing videos that Greg had done. One was an explainer video on GPT-3. And then the next one was this answer to this question, will AI replace programmers? So I immediately thought, oh my God, I got to reach out to Greg and ask him, will AI replace salespeople? Greg has had an amazing career. He started out at Microsoft way, way back when as a program manager for the Windows XP operating system. He then started his own company, Raised Labs, back in 2001, ran that for 16 years, growing it up to 80 employees. And he ran sales and marketing, so he should know a thing or two about sales, probably can run circles around Mandy and I. Then successfully sold that company, worked for the acquiring company as chief innovation officer. And these days, he's you're probably too humble to describe yourself this way, but thinker and also investor and producing these amazing videos to help educate the world on a whole range of technologies beyond AI. So, Greg, to get to know you better, just love to just ask you how you learn, because to invest, to produce the amazing content that you produce, you got to have some special tips and tricks for our listeners. I love learning and reading new books, new ideas. I try to immerse myself in various different genres of learning, whether it's audiobooks, physical books. I have kind of a stack of things I'm looking. I know you like to ask people what are their favorite business books. And uh, I love the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And it really talks about a number of different ideas that are actually really pertinent to sales, things like scarcity or urgency. When I was working with my uh, sales leaders, it was always like, how do we help people? You know, it's not about selling something. It's about helping solve a problem. And if you can understand some of the psychology behind uh, how people think, I think that's really helpful in growing a team, growing a business, and then helping close those deals. When you were running Raise Labs, what was the most challenging thing for you? you? I presume you had sort of the technical background, but you had to acquire other skills. What was the most challenging new skill for you to acquire? I mean, I think it's really trusting your team and kind of building a number of leadership skills. I consider myself a, a maker or a doer, someone who likes to roll up their sleeves and get into the work. And that includes writing code, doing design, calling and following up on sales leads. And it took me a while to really trust the team and put in the right mechanics so that the team and the company could grow. Early on, I would swoop like a, a seagull flying in. I'd like swoop into a meeting and then give my opinion on what needs to be done and how I would do it differently. And you know, I learned that that was really uh, disempowering to the team. It really prevented them from learning and growing and making some of those mistakes. So I had to kind of learn to you know, give some guidance. People do want leadership. They do want vision and mission and kind of where you want the company to go, but they need a little bit of autonomy, a little bit of ability to make some of those mistakes and learnings and grow in their own and, and ultimately to succeed and know that that success was their own as well. I love that. Uh, Greg, can I ask a follow-up question? Yeah, absolutely. 
tactically, how did you do that? Right? Like, so it's such a big concept, this idea of learning how to trust your team. Did you ask for accountability? Like, how did you tactically stop yourself or hold yourself back when you were in that moment? It was not a overnight process. It was a long-term learning and kind of building uh, trust with the team. Another great book that I liked, which was uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which really talks about kind of building that foundation of first vulnerability, where you can really be vulnerable and let people know kind of why you're either scared or excited or kind of like truly what's going on. And once you've built that vulnerability, then you can build trust and you can build some of the other layers of accountability and diligence and kind of following up on things. But that's not an overnight process. And that's something that, you know, I think everyone should work on throughout their life. Let's transition over into, you know, the core theme of the day again, which is will AI replace salespeople? But as an introduction to that, I come from a technical background, but not all salespeople and sales leaders do. So I'm just wondering if you can just give us a high level introduction to like what AI is. Everyone hears about it and, and you know, it's it's in all kinds of marketing material. Our folks probably even use it in their selling approach, but I don't know that they deeply understand it. And as a sub part of that, maybe you can address whether AI and machine learning are the same, different. How do you think about that? It's funny. I remember taking my first artificial intelligence class at Tufts University where I, and I was expecting to learn like, oh my God, this is going to be the magic of computer science and how machines will do these amazing things. And artificial intelligence, for the most part, is pretty pragmatic. There's a lot of math and science behind it, but basically you're giving the computer a bunch of data and you're telling it what you want in terms of a result. And then the computer is running through a number of different cycles, testing out different iterations of data to essentially fine tune parameters. Like you can imagine, you know, a computer has thousands of dials or in the GPT-3 case, it actually has over 175 billion dials. And all of these dials do something to the machine, right? And the machine doesn't know how you need the dials set to get the result. And so it starts running for, in some cases, months and months and months, tweaking the dials until the result on the other end is closer and closer to the result that you want. And so it's fine tuning and learning over that process. And AI is used all over the place. You know, if you pull up your Netflix or open up YouTube, AI is learning the things that you like. And so Netflix is showing you TV shows that you may want. If you watch that show, the AI, the algorithm will learn, oh, you like drama or you like action or you like short movies or TV shows or whatever those things are. And the more data it has, the better it can get at learning and predicting what you might want to watch next. And so a lot of the elements of AI are used across a bunch of different spectrums. For salespeople in particular, it's interesting. You're using AI all the time already. You may not even know it, but Salesforce and HubSpot, uh, all those tools are baking in a lot of AI for a number of different things. They may be using it to show you which reports and recommending reports. It may be recommending which contacts or prospects to follow up on. It may be giving you kind of reminders or tickler files. And so the notion of AI is really... At its highest point, I think it's meant to be a tool for people. There are absolutely AI can take jobs, you know, if it's replacing something that's incredibly monotonous. And I think 
there are lots of opportunities for salespeople to be looking at, you know, hey, are there elements of my job that is incredibly monotonous? I'm not really spending my time talking to people, which is ultimately, I think, where salespeople can be most effective when they're having that one-on-one human conversation rather than putting in data into a CMS. If you can automate some of the boring stuff, it actually gives you more time to focus on the things that are high value. We posted a question on LinkedIn to see what people would want to ask you if they had a chance. And one of them got at what you just said, which was, is there a world where the computer, the AI does effectively everything for you and then just queues up calls for you and even potentially suggests for those calls what to do? So if you're in the early stage, like perhaps it gives you some talking points for cold or warm engagement. And if you're at the later stage, maybe it gives you some negotiating tips or other ideas. Yeah. I mean, to some degree, there are elements of that in certain sales processes. I've seen companies automate Google lead channels where they're advertising and ads and leads come in. Those leads can be screened automatically by a simple program to qualify them in or out. Uh, I do think that that high-end sales tends to be more high-touch than certain types of products. Uh, But Elements of that sales process that are monotonous can be automated. I think this type of technology tends to move relatively slowly. So it's not something that I think, oh my God, overnight, you know, sales jobs are going to radically change. I think over the next decade, we're going to start to see bits of that where, hey, the tools that are used for sales process start to get some more intelligence, which makes certain aspects of my job easier and easier. What sort of skills should salespeople focus on developing today that will help them make better use of the opportunities presented by AI or machine learning? Being comfortable with technology is definitely a good skill. And I think there's a range uh, across salespeople. Some salespeople really, they learned a particular way of selling and they kind of have stuck to that for 15, 20, sometimes more. And I think the salespeople who are able to learn new technologies and adopt new tools are the ones who are going to set themselves apart over the next 20 years. There's so many pieces of the puzzle, whether it's AI or automation, that are already starting to be out there. And I know in my sales team, the people who were early adopters of chatbots or early adopters of lead screening tools or some of the automation you know, whether it's built into Salesforce or HubSpot or whatever tool you happen to be using, that when you're not scared of technology and when you're able to use these tools, that's the thing that often makes you most effective. How far should they go? I'm sometimes asked by salespeople, should I learn to code? Is that too far? It depends on what you're selling. I suppose that there are certain products that are incredibly technical where, uh, you know, I've seen technical sales where a salesperson would wire up a quick demo or a prototype. I think for most people, that's probably too far. Being comfortable with the tools and technologies so that you're not scared about it, so you at least understand how it works. I've seen some salespeople get really good at Excel, and it can be used to do very basic programs to automate sheets or prioritize or sort or create pivot tables. You know, at the end of the day, it's really about using your time effectively. You should just value your time highly. And if you see yourself doing something that feels like it's a lot of drudgery, a lot of kind of plugging away, explore whether technology can solve some of those problems for you. 
one of the things that we do is we look through the you know billions of interactions that our customers have with their prospects, and then we try to find patterns to what works and what doesn't work. How long should a subject line be? Should you say hi, hey, or hello, Greg, at the beginning of an email, those sorts of things. If you wind the clock back a little bit, it was a novelty to put the person's first name, let's say, in the subject line. And then it was a novelty to put the person's company or job title or what have you inside the body of the email. And in the very early days, that was a manual process. And I feel as though people, like the response rates were high in the early days to those sorts of practices because people felt, ah, this person took the time to do something for me. They actually invested and they were triggering, to your point earlier about immutable laws of marketing, and they were triggering reciprocity in some ways, right? It's like, you spent time on me, I'll spend time on you. Where I'm going with this is, thus far, it feels as though people have been able to detect the line between what other people spend time on versus what machines take care of. When can a machine, for example, say like, hey, I just watched your GPT-3 video and in minute seven, you said, quote, X, and the machine actually pulls out like some pithy relevant quote that somehow segues into our value proposition, right? So it's going way beyond just the dynamic tag insert and actually consuming the prospect's content in a way that they can personalize back to them. It's a slippery slope in that at a certain point, you do have a human conversation and you know, that's when you start to lose authenticity or genuineness. I've sent out email campaigns, right? Automated email campaigns, and you want it to sound personal and you want it to sound engaging and then people respond. But whenever they do respond, you usually insert a person into that conversation rather than machine because ultimately you're trying to close a sale. It's probably going to require a high touch. I think people respond negatively if they feel that they've been conned or if they've been tricked. I think that reflects on the humanity of us as people and it'll reflect on the brand and the company that you work on. So I'm absolutely sure there are companies that will go too far to one direction, you know, and whether it's your cable or your cell phone company and you're like, ew, they're gross. I hate them. I don't like them when they call me versus people who use it in kind of a helpful way where it really feels like it aided the conversation. It got me to know that company in a more meaningful way. So Netflix isn't weird to me. It's like, I know it's a machine recommending stuff for me, but I actually find it useful where there are other things where I'm like, yeah, I don't know, like, you know, not great. Can you give an example of where like you give an AI a condition to do something and it actually backfires and have some negative externality? One of the videos I made touched on bias, and bias is an important thing to understand about AI. If you don't think about the potential negative biases that can exist, your AI will go maximize the things that it does know about. And so the most obvious one that we see a lot of is racism and sexism. Some of these early development AIs don't have a diverse set of data that they're training to. And so there's an example of uh, facial recognition algorithm where the facial recognition algorithm wasn't trained on a diverse set of faces. So it actually couldn't recognize people who were black. And that's a very simple example of bias in AI. It got really, really good at recognizing white people at the detriment of recognizing a broad perspective of the population. And so anyone who's building AI should be very cautious of what they are optimizing for and making sure that they are 
thinking about their data set in a very diverse way such that they're not creating bias or unintended consequences. Yeah, we ran across one of those recently. So we looked at, we use US Census data to classify names of salespeople who were sending emails. And we just basically said if 80% or more, it might even have been 90% or more of a particular first and last name combination fit white, black, Hispanic, Native American, what have you, right? Like fit a particular racial profile, then uh, we classified as that. And if it was outside of those bounds, then we just kind of left it in the general pool. We looked at 10 million emails, so it's a pretty good size sample. We found that buyers, prospects, are 14% less likely to respond to somebody with a stereotypically black name per the census data. And those buyers like may not even be consciously biased. They may be subconsciously biased. And if you just told an AI to only hire salespeople who had like maximum reply rates, then the implication of that would be that you wouldn't hire black salespeople, which is horrendous, right? So even in a case where where you train it on a complete set of data, you could also have that problem. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that can be completely unconscious in the same way it can be unconscious to the AI. It doesn't know that it's screening in that particular way. It's optimizing for whatever number you told it to optimize for. So Greg, I lead an enterprise sales team here at SalesLoft. And so our cycles are quite long, quite complex, lots of different buying influencers, lots of different people, stakeholders involved on the prospect side, lots of research and personalization. And I imagine that that's not unlike a lot of other enterprise sellers. So with your background of both AI and sales, what elements of a long, complex enterprise sales cycle would you see AI potentially replacing so I can get excited about the parts of my jobs that might be, that that might be, I guess, to your point earlier, giving myself more time to focus on the things that I know could never be replaced by AI, like my network, like my time in front of my customers and those human to human interactions. I kind of think about the entire chain of a typical sales cycle. So lead generation or putting prospects into the top of the funnel or even identifying who are the right leads to put into the funnel. Like one of the biggest problems I saw in the last company I was with was we were chasing down a lot of kind of what I would call the wrong deal sizes or the wrong types of deals. Like we hadn't looked at what are the things that are most impactful to the overall business? We were closing deals that were directly in front of us. So there may be 100 deals that are directly in front of us. There's one or two deals that are harder to get, but those are the ones that really move the needle. And so I think AI can be good at looking at a lot of data and optimizing the top of the funnel. There's a bunch of prospects that aren't yet in your funnel, and you have to decide, do I focus on moving what's in the funnel to the next stage or you know, is the stuff that's in my funnel the wrong stuff and I have to go find new prospects? Salespeople can get into a particular zone where they love a particular deal or project and they start spending a disproportionate amount of time to try to close a deal that may be a low probability deal. Maybe what I call the breakup email, which is like, hey, it sounds like you're not interested. Like, call me when you are. Sometimes that type of email has the same exact effect as following up every single day for a month, right? Like sometimes people just need to be like, oh my God, he's going to go away and I actually needed this. So looking at those cycles, making sure you're spending time effectively. And then I think pricing strategy is another one. Kind of when you're figuring out kind of how to price something, there are like a billion different ways to price. And at the end of the day, it's, it's not necessarily about maximizing the deal size in the initial close. 
It may be maximizing the longevity of that customer value over time. So, you know, you could close a $1 million deal today, or you could close a half million dollar deal, but then that customer is going to retain for the next 10, right? You have to optimize the area under the curve. You want to maximize the value to the customer and the value to your business. And so AI is good at solving those kind of multivariate problems to make sure you're solving the right problem and that you're maximizing the thing that you really want. How structured does the data need to be for the machine to do what you just described? So I'll give you two scenarios, right? One is the bane of salespeople's existence, which is coding up into structured data fields where things are, what stage it's in, who's the decision maker, this, that, and the other things, entering all that kind of stuff in your CRM versus what I'm sure they would love, which is you just feed every recorded conversation that you have in, you feed every email you have in, right? Like every interaction that you have, it just feeds in there. And then the machine magically says, this deal's going south. You should do X right now. Yeah. I mean, this is exactly a, a huge area of research in AI. And it's not just in the sales vertical. Uh, it's a huge problem in the healthcare vertical in particular, where doctors are spending just obscene amounts of time coding things into healthcare systems. There's a number of companies that I've looked at that are trying to figure out how to automate that coding where a doctor just speaks into a microphone. I saw this patient, they presented with XYZ, you know, I'm prescribing, you know, this type of drug for this many things. I want them to follow up with me in four weeks and whatever those things are. So that technology I think has great applications to sales, it has great applications to legal, it has great applications to a number of other verticals. So I think we'll start to see more of these. Again, the companies that build sales tools are trying to figure this out. you know. And I think the ones that figure it out first are going to be the ones that are going to reap a lot of the benefits from it. Well, Greg, this has been amazing. I have a list of questions that I'm dying to ask you, but unfortunately, we're out of time. I know Mandy's got a few more up her sleeve too. Uh, but if people do want to understand more about AI and its impact on sales, where would you direct them to stay smart? I know that your common theme we talked about today was just learning and making sure that you have technological aptitude. How would you recommend salespeople stay up to speed? Obviously, they can subscribe to my channel and uh, uh, all that good stuff. I think just keeping up on various different news cycles. And so if you're in a particular vertical, find something that's a little bit outside of your space that is a little more technologically tuned. And so you know, I used to not know a lot about marketing. And so I tuned to a number of blogs and channels that gave me content that I never looked at before. And so I think opening up your personal funnel or inbox or subscribe to a newsletter of something that you typically wouldn't subscribe to and take a personal interest, getting your hands a little bit dirty and kind of kicking the tires, trying a couple things. That's how I learned. Like, you know, I didn't know a thing about GPT-3. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to dive in for a couple of days and learn as much as I can. Or, you know, most recently I've been learning about 3D printing. And so I rolled up my sleeves and I'm like, I'm going to learn everything about that particular technology. So roll up your sleeves, kind of dig into some blogs or videos or things that you never knew about before, kind of expand your repertoire, break the script, right? right. And it makes you a smarter salesperson. It'll help you connect with your prospects and have deeper conversations and hopefully help you uh, close that next big deal. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being on today. 
Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. Paige McCauley is our producer. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast.